Greetings, this is podcast number 101 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today, I'm going to discuss with you the recent controversy over Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez's not renewing the broadcast license of a television station in that country. In my closing comments to the podcast, I'll have an important programming note. Let's get right into it. My sources are the New York Times, the LA Times, MediaChannel.org, Znet.org, TruthDig.com, CommonDreams.org, the British newspaper The Guardian, the Solidarity website VenezuelaAnalysis.com, the Associated Press, and Reuters. In several podcasts, I've discussed what Hugo Chavez is doing in Venezuela and why progressives must support him. Simply put, He's governing in the interests of the poor majority. Virtually all prior governments had governed in the interests of a tiny elite of ultra-rich Venezuelans. Chavez is forcing new deals on the multinational oil companies so that the bulk of the profit stays in Venezuela to help Venezuelans not line the pockets of the multinationals. That money is being used to fund food, medical, education, and housing needs. See Podcasts 18 and 49. Chavez is forging ahead with a land reform program which finds unused land and buys it from the owners and then allows peasant cooperatives to farm it. That's Podcast 95. In short, Chavez is setting a very, very bad example for other third world countries, at least in the eyes of right-wingers. And there's more! Venezuela sits on the world's largest heavy oil reserves, dwarfing Saudi Arabia. We know how fixated Dick Cheney was on getting control of Iraq's much smaller oil supply. Can you imagine the unbridled lust, the uncontrollable compulsion he and the other neocons and right-wingers of various stripes must be feeling to get their hands on, grab control of Venezuela's liquid treasure? You need to remember all this as we examine the hysteria in the right-wing media and even among some left-of-center sources about Chavez not renewing the license of television station RCTV. Is that outrage based on real concern about a true threat to Venezuelan democracy? Or was all that yelling and screaming and, in typical right-wing fashion, distorting of the facts, really aimed at getting rid of Chavez in 2007? I'll be the first to admit, not renewing a station's license at first blush looks bad. My gut reaction is to feel uneasy. Why is he doing that? This is actually a common theme in solidarity work with third world nations led by forceful charismatic figures undoing centuries of injustice. We must study, reflect, consider. What did Chavez do exactly? Why did he do it? Was it justified? And if not justified, what are the implications from a progressive viewpoint? Let me start off by reading a bit from emails I received from two listeners, both progressives. This television station situation did produce more email than almost anything else I've covered. Mark from Wellington, New Zealand wrote, quote, 
One thing does rub me the wrong way, though, and that is your apparent hero worship of Hugo Chavez of Venezuela. Whilst I am in favor of many of the promises he made prior to his election, and I admire the way he stood up to the largely U.S.-owned oil corporations, to uniformly laud him as you do is to ignore some fundamental liberal tenets which generally undermine your anti-right-wing agenda. You praise Chavez for his no-nonsense land reform and measures promoting social justice. However, you are sadly silent on the compulsion of the judiciary swearing personal oaths to the president, the rule by decree, introduced post-election, this is not what people voted for, and the shutting down of independent media. 85% might be in private hands, but they can only transmit what the president approves. Close quote. Chuck from Walnut Creek, California wrote, quote, I do have one concern, and it's becoming troublesome for me, and that is your promotion and support of Hugo Chavez. While I agree with your assessment of his support for the exploited classes of his country, he is seriously lacking in any attempt at diplomacy or rational thought in foreign relations. His ideological alignment with Iran is outright frightening. In a world where diplomacy is the only tool that will keep us from killing one another, Chavez shows a clear dislike for the concept. His confrontational style, while possibly a major reason for his election, is hardly going to solve any problems. The fact that he closed down the opposition media outlets is even more cause for worry. Close quote. What I wrote back was very short, since I intended to devote an entire podcast to this issue. I replied, quote, A one-sentence answer would be, We may not agree with or like everything he does, but it's still necessary to oppose right-wing efforts to depose him and replace him with someone who not only will have a bad right-wing foreign policy, but will resume screwing the Venezuelan poor. I need to repeat more often in the podcast that our job as progressives isn't to support every single thing he does. Close quote. I'll point out immediately that both Mark and Chuck have been fed misinformation by the corporate media. My two listeners wrote that Chavez, quote, closed down the opposition media outlets, close quote, that he's responsible for, quote, the shutting down of independent media. 85% might be in private hands, but they can only transmit what the president approves, close quote. Right-wing lies and spin, but more on that later. Let's go through this step by step. I don't know if I'll have time to address all the points raised in the two emails because I really want to concentrate on the recent situation with RCTV, which has generated far more coverage than the other issues. All nations license the right to use their public airwaves, since the demand for use of the airwaves far outstrips the supply. In the U.S., the Federal Communications Commission performs this function, granting terms of eight years. In Venezuela, the term is 20 years. Broadcasters must serve the public interest, and if not, their licenses can be revoked or not be renewed. And there's the rub, as Willie S. said. We need to go over the events of the April 11, 2002 coup in Venezuela that attempted to remove Chavez from office and the role RCTV played in that coup. RCTV's role started before the actual coup. This is from an op-ed piece in the LA Times, quote, For two days before, 
RCTV preempted regular programming and ran wall-to-wall coverage of a general strike aimed at ousting Chavez. A stream of commentators spewed non-stop vitriolic attacks against him while permitting no response from the government. Then, RCTV ran non-stop ads encouraging people to attend a march on April 11th aimed at toppling Chavez and broadcast blanket coverage of the event. When the march ended in violence, RCTV and Globovision ran manipulated video blaming Chavez supporters for scores of deaths and injuries. Close quote. Then after the coup took place, this is what RCTV did. Some of the following is from the LA Times op-ed piece, some is from an article by James Jordan on the website VenezuelaAnalysis.com, a progressive pro-Chavez website. Quote, RCTV and its partners undertook a complete blackout on reporting any news relating to the more than a million citizens who had taken to the street and surrounded the presidential palace in defense of the democratically elected government of Venezuela. Rather than broadcasting this news, RCTV treated its viewers to reruns of Tom and Jerry cartoons and the movie Pretty Woman, close quote. RCTV also broadcast disinformation aimed at bolstering the coup. It, quote, knowingly broadcast false and manipulated information, including the lies that Bolivarian supporters instigated violence against demonstrators and that President Chavez, as a result, had willingly resigned and left the country. President Chavez had not resigned. He'd been kidnapped and was being held prisoner by traitors within the Venezuelan military, close quote. RCTV's owner, Marcel Granier, openly pledged support to the coup. Quote, On April 13, 2002, Granier and other media moguls met in the Miraflores Palace to pledge support to the country's coup-installed dictator, Pedro Carmona, who had eliminated the Supreme Court, the National Assembly, and the Constitution. Close quote. This support did not go unnoticed by the coup leaders. Quote, Vice Admiral Ramirez Perez spoke for all his fellow coup plotters when he told a Venevision reporter, quote, We had a deadly weapon, the media, and now that I have the opportunity, let me congratulate you. Close quote. However, as Solidarity commentator James Jordan dryly put it, quote, His congratulations were premature, however, as multitudes of people in the street, with the aid of truly independent community-based media and patriots within the Venezuelan military, were able to defeat this coup without firing a shot, returning President Chavez to his rightful office on April 13, 2002. Close quote. The Associated Press and Reuters more succinctly confirm the broad outlines of what I just read from the LA Times op-ed in Solidarity Activist Jordan. The Associated Press, quote, RCTV and other private channels broadcast opposition calls for protests to overthrow Chavez while giving little coverage to his return to power amid protests by his supporters, close quote. Reuters, quote, RCTV ran movies and cartoons when protests by Chavez supporters turned the tide in Chavez's favor during the 2002 coup. Close quote. RCTV's support of the coup was not just the result of bad journalistic decisions. Andre Cesara was a television producer working for RCTV at the time of the coup. 
He was the news production manager of that station's newscast, El Observador. He had previously been CNN's assignment editor for Latin America. Before I read the following, I'll tell you up front that a comment posted to the article I'm about to read from sought to discredit Azara's testimony by pointing out that he was the son of a longtime Chavez ally and has since gone on to work for the Venezuelan embassy in Washington as well as serve as the Venezuelan Minister of Information and the head of Telesur, the joint news channel broadcast by Venezuela, Argentina, Bolivia, and Cuba. You can decide whether what Azara says about the time he worked at RCTV has the ring of truth. Azara said, quote, We were told no pro-Chavez material was to be screened, close quote. The article continues, quote, Later, RCTV officials would maintain that they could not film pro-Bolivarian demonstrations for security reasons. Even if that were true, Azara notes, Footage of these demonstrations was available from sources such as CNN. RCTV also continued broadcasting reports that President Chavez had willfully resigned and left the country, even though Azara notes that they were receiving news to the contrary, and that Mexico, Argentina, and France had all issued statements condemning the coup and refusing to recognize the new government. Conversely, the United States welcomed this illegal government. Izara says the last straw came for him when, quote, we had a reporter in Miraflores and knew that it had been retaken by the Chavistas, but the information blackout stood. That's when it was enough for me, and I decided to leave, close quote. It should also be noted that RCTV's attempts to aid in the overthrow of Chavez didn't end with the coup's failure. Reuters points out that RCTV, quote, also joined a grueling two-month strike that year by showing only anti-Chavez propaganda and marches for weeks. Close quote. As part of that effort, according to an op-ed on Znet, quote, RCTV made all-day appeals to Venezuelans to help topple the government during a crippling national oil strike. Close quote. So the question becomes... Given this history of attempting to overthrow the democratically elected government of Venezuela, was RCTV serving the public interest? Did it deserve to have its license renewed? Even more, shouldn't something have been done to that station right then and there after the coup failed? The Chavez government was in reality extremely forbearing towards RCTV, it didn't attempt in 2002 to shut down the station. It didn't jail its owners. It didn't cancel its license. This is what I consider the sound conclusion of Robert M. McChesney, a research professor of communications at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and Mark Weisbrot, co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C., in an op-ed piece they wrote. Quote, if RCTV were broadcasting in the United States, its license would have been revoked years ago. In fact, its owners would likely have been tried for criminal offenses, including treason. Close quote. I mean, come on! If there were a coup by an element of the U.S. military against Bush, or against any U.S. president, and NBC TV did what RCTV did, how long after the coup failed would it take for NBC's license to be revoked and its entire staff thrown in jail? Five minutes? 
But that's not what Chavez did. Instead, the Chavez government entered into negotiations to establish procedures so that such treasonous actions wouldn't recur. But RCTV refused to agree to anything. So when the time came for RCTV's license to be renewed, the Chavez government decided not to renew it. RCTV's support of the coup was cited as a primary reason. My conclusion is that Chavez was totally justified in not renewing RCTV's license based on its support of the coup. It's certainly not serving the public interest to support the overthrow of the democratically elected government of the nation. In retrospect, it would have been better perhaps for Chavez to have pulled the station's license right after the coup failed, instead of waiting to just not renew it. After the break, we'll go over what happened in Venezuela after Chavez's license non-renewal and how the right wing is trying to exploit, if not outright create, a crisis. Your one-minute voting report. Blast the Right finished number six in June on the Podcast Alley Top Ten. Thanks for voting. We're showing the progressive colors to the podcasting community. This month, we're not starting off so well. We're barely hanging in there right now at number ten. We've been down to number eleven. So if you voted in June, please do so again. And if you haven't ever voted, please be fair and give me your monthly ten seconds in return for the half-hour podcast you enjoy listening to. Many people will see Blast the Right on the Podcast Alley homepage top 10, and that helps spread the progressive word. And as always, iTunes subscribers. Five-star reviews from you would be great at the iTunes Music Store. That'll counter the one-star sabotage reviews right-wingers go there and give me. Thanks. Before we discuss what transpired in Venezuela after Chavez didn't renew RCTV's license, I need to clear up two fundamental misconceptions widely disseminated in the corporate media and repeated to me by listeners Mark and Chuck. First, RCTV was not shut down. No one came and padlocked the RCTV offices. No one threw its owners in jail. The station is still alive and producing programming. It's free to broadcast by cable and satellite. Its two radio stations continue to operate. RCTV just will not be allowed to use the publicly owned television airwaves in Venezuela. It forfeited that right by supporting a coup. Second, freedom of expression has not been squelched in Venezuela in general at all. The Venezuelan media is still overwhelmingly privately owned and still overwhelmingly anti-Chavez. As McChesney and Weisbrot point out, quote, The vast majority of Venezuela's media are not only in private hands, they are constitutionally protected, uncensored, and dominated by the opposition. RCTV's owners can expand their cable and satellite programming or take their capital and launch a print empire. 
aggressive, unqualified political dissent is alive and well in the Venezuelan mainstream media in a manner few other democratic nations have ever known, including our own. Close quote. Most Venezuelan newspapers and radio stations remain virulently anti-Chavez. Would that we had such aggressive anti-right-wing reporting in this country. Okay, after the non-renewal, what happened has been called a, quote, feeble echo, close quote, of the 2002 pre-coup events. Essentially, students led some not particularly large by Venezuelan standards street protests, some of which turned violent, and this was blown all out of proportion by the corporate media. Which students? By and large, rich students. Here's a perspective you don't get from the mainstream media. It's from a piece written by author Richard Gott in the British newspaper The Guardian. Quote, University students from privileged backgrounds have been pitched against newly enfranchised young people from the impoverished shanty towns, beneficiaries of the increased oil royalties spent on higher education projects for the poor. These separate groups never meet, but both sides occupy their familiar battleground within the city. One in the leafy squares of eastern Caracas, the other in the narrow and teeming streets in the west. This symbolic battle will become ever more familiar in Latin America in the years ahead. Rich against poor, white against brown and black, immigrant settlers against indigenous peoples, privileged minorities against the great mass of the population. Close quote. You see, the poor youth now have schools being created for them by the Chavez government. Chavez has presented plans for additional new colleges and technical institutes. The students from the elite universities are the children of the oligarchy who've ruled Venezuela for decades if not longer. Chavez's policies in general mean these children won't inherit as much money from their parents as they perhaps expected. Chavez's educational policies mean that there will be poor youth now being educated and competing for jobs. Frankly, when the rich students burn tires and garbage to block traffic and attack police with rocks, I thought, these are the Paris Hilton riots. These weren't the massive multi-hundred-thousand-person protests of prior years. They weren't even one-tenth as large. And remember, even those much larger prior years' protests didn't represent how the overall public felt. I should also mention the racial angle. RCTV has long been criticized for presenting a face to the world that is unlike the average Venezuelan face. The majority of Venezuelans are of indigenous and or African ancestry. Quote, the debate in Venezuela has less to do with the alleged absence of freedom of expression than with a perennially tricky issue locally referred to as exclusion, a shorthand term for race and racism. RCTV was not just a politically reactionary organization which supported the coup attempt against a democratically elected government. It was also a white supremacist channel. Its staff and presenters, in a country largely of black and indigenous descent, were uniformly white as were the protagonists of its soap operas and the advertisements it carried. It was colonial television. Their programs, argue Aristobulo Estures, until recently Chavez's Minister of Education and an Afro-Venezuelan, encouraged racism, discrimination, and exclusion. Close quote. 
The station which received RCTV's license is a public station, TVS, Venezuela Social Television. It says it will broadcast mainly productions by independent third parties. A commercial for TVS reads, TVS, como eres de verdad, you see yourself as you really are. As progressives, we must be distrustful of any government, so it behooves us to monitor whether TVS becomes a true voice of the Venezuelan people or a mouthpiece for the Chavez government. Let's now consider how the right-wing media has distorted what happened in the aftermath of the non-renewal decision. First, overall, inside Venezuela, quote, anyone following the news of the non-renewal of RCTV's license informed by the dominant opposition-controlled newspapers and broadcasters would inevitably conclude that the Bolivarian Revolution had lost its grip and that the country teeters on the edge of civil war, its institutions shattered." Close quote. And right-wingers in the U.S. followed that cue. Listen to Sean Hannity in just one segment of his TV show longingly ask over and over again if Chavez can be overthrown by the protests. This seems extremely widespread, and we know there's been a lot of discontent and a lot of poverty in this nation. So, I mean, you really have the possibility that this could grow even wider, no? Do you get the impression this could ultimately topple this government? I'll ask you the same question. Is it possible? Do you think this topples this government? This is even though the protests were obviously far smaller than in past years, and Chavez is more popular among the general populace than ever. There's also the ever-courageous Alan Combs on that same program, eagerly adopting the Hannity line. I despise what this is, what's happening here. I've been defending him to some extent, but this is really off the deep end, and I can no longer do so, given what's happened in Venezuela over the weekend. Is there a role for the United States here in any way, shape, or form? And who was the guest on that fair and balanced segment? None other than Otto Reich. Reich? was not only a prime player in Ronald Reagan's efforts to overthrow the Sandinistas in Nicaragua, but is also suspected of actually having played a role in guiding the 2002 Venezuelan coup in his then position as George Bush's U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for Western Hemisphere Affairs. I'll spare you playing any clip of him. The language used by the corporate media was also misleading. Mainstream news repeatedly said the station had been shut down, cut off, silenced, when we know it was free to continue broadcasting in other media like cable or satellite. Another language trick was using the term brief coup to describe what RCTV supported in 2002, as if the purpose was just a brief coup, no big deal. The coup wasn't brief because its supporters didn't intend a permanent coup, the coup was brief because Chavez's far greater number of supporters took to the streets and demanded his return to power. More biased reporting, Simon Romero of the New York Times wrote, quote, With Chavez loyalists controlling the National Assembly, the Supreme Court, and the federal bureaucracy, and with RCTV off the air, coverage of the protests by every television broadcaster except a small cable news network, Globovision, fell into ideological step with the coverage by Mr. Chavez's expanding state-controlled broadcasting interests." Close quote. Chavez loyalists? Sounds sinister. Didn't Bush loyalists control our legislature, Supreme Court, and federal bureaucracy?
and Chavez's expanding state-controlled broadcasting interests? Does Romero mention that the vast majority of media is still in private hands and is largely anti-Chavez? No, he doesn't. Could I discuss any situation without mentioning right-wing hypocrisy? They rant and rave about press freedom in Venezuela, which has a vibrant freedom of press situation, but say virtually nothing about U.S. allies where there's no press freedom at all. And of course, the 2002 coup government that the U.S. announced support for, did it stand for press freedom? It's the exact opposite. It shut down virtually all non-right-wing media. Quote, while corporate and community media both retain enormous freedoms in Venezuela, the April 11 to 13, 2002 coup and the two-day coup government provide a much different example. Once interloper Pedro Carmona had declared himself president of Venezuela, among the very first actions taken by the coup government involved the suppression of Venezuela's non-corporate media. Police troops answering to Carmona raided and shut down Channel 8, the government TV station. They ordered the Catholic Church's Radio Fe y Alegre to play only music and not report national events, lest they also be shut down. Carmona's raiders also hit a number of community media centers, closing down, among others, TV Caracua, Katia TV, and Radio Parola. Fortunately, reporters from Katia TV and Radio Parola were able to escape and recapture their transmitters. Because of this, they were able to provide mobile broadcasts to the people of Venezuela of the news that RCTV and its partners were blacking out. Close quote. Perhaps most telling in the media distortion about the non-renewal of coup-supporting RCTV's license, and what I'll close with is the ignoring or poo-pooing of the real agenda behind the student protests, or at least of those taking advantage of the student protests. The New York Times' Simon Romero dismissively wrote, quote, Pro-Chavez cabinet officials and lawmakers, in an illustration of how polarized Venezuela remains, continue to deride the student protests as destabilization efforts. Close quote. Well, Simon, is that so strange an accusation? Was there not a real coup against Chavez before? In Eastern Europe, so-called soft coups took place when protests undermined the legitimacy of governments and led to their downfall. Chavez accused the United States and the Venezuelan opposition of following that model, of planning a, quote, soft coup with a slow fuse, close quote. Chavez asserted that this strategy would fail because it only works against unpopular governments. And Chavez went on the offensive. He characterized the protesting students as U.S. pawns and called on the poor in the shanty towns to once again show their support for him, like they did to reverse the 2002 coup. Quote, sound the alarm in the hills, slums and towns to defend our revolution from this new fascist attack. We are waiting for you. Close quote. Chavez knows what he's doing. As a political scientist at a Venezuelan university put it, referring to Salvador Allende, the socialist president of Chile who was toppled in a CIA coup in 1973, quote, Chavez cannot appear to be weak among his own people or to be another Allende. Allende was a gentleman, but it didn't get him anywhere. Chavez is appealing to his base with aggressive language and a refusal to compromise with the opposition, which is portrayed as the enemy, close quote. Of course, the 2007 RCTV protests 
did fail for precisely the reason Chavez said. The vast majority of the public supports Chavez. We first world progressives have to remember that Venezuela is not Switzerland. Venezuela just explicitly voted for a revolutionary process promised by Chavez in his campaign for the presidency. Revolutionary change, even when instituted via the ballot box, is going to be wrenching. So we need to keep things in perspective. Unlike our own president, Chavez hasn't set up a string of secret torture centers or wiretapped his population. Unlike governments we support, such as in Iraq, there are no roaming death squads leaving the mutilated bodies of torture victims in the Caracas streets every night. And unlike governments we give billions to, like in Pakistan and Egypt, there are free elections in Venezuela. I don't agree with every person I know on every issue, let alone any politician on every issue. So sure, you may not like every single thing that Chavez does. The choice, however, isn't between Hugo Chavez and a perfect progressive U.S.-style Dennis Kucinich. It's between Hugo Chavez and a return to the oligarchy rules, the poor majority starves model that was the norm before Chavez. As listener Jock Chamberlain, host of the podcast Radio Tomate, R-A-D-I-O-T-O-M-A-T-E dot com, put it, quote, I agree with Greg Palast. Chavez has no seguidor, person with his charisma, to follow him. One bullet brings back the oligarchy, guarantees U.S. oil flow, and ends the movement, close quote. Maybe the poor majority in Venezuela understand that the world's hyperpower wants Chavez dead and wants to re-enslave them. So they're going to cut Chavez a lot of slack in doing what he thinks he needs to do in order not to be assassinated or be overthrown in another coup, soft or otherwise. The right-wing forces don't limit themselves to legal means, and their counter-revolutionary efforts need to be held in check. The key is, if the Venezuelan people don't like what Chavez is doing, they can vote him out or institute another recall. If Chavez prevents a fair election or recall, then one has to condemn him. Not now. It's simply not for us as progressives to decide what's best for Venezuelans. I can't stress this enough. Remember, in the December presidential elections, Chavez won by a huge 61-38% to 38% landslide. The main opposition candidate didn't even bother to make a false claim of fraud as opposition candidates had done in the past. No, he told his fellow anti-Chavez followers, quote, Many prefer a lie, but the truth is that they routed us, close quote. And may the forces of the right continue to be routed. I personally want Chavez to do what he needs to do to prevent a coup against him. No more and no less. If he seems to be doing more, my criticism may ramp up, but again, I take my cue from the Venezuelan people. Right now, they still massively support him. And so do I. And so should all progressives. 
Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at Podcast Alley. There's a one-click link to do each of those from the podcast homepage. A special shout-out to all you Live 365 and Red Dragon 365 listeners. Great to have you on board. Please consider going over to the podcast homepage and subscribing. You can download and listen to any episode of the podcast anytime you want. Subscriptions are free. Thanks to Ellen in Kansas City and Kit from Rocky Mountain, North Carolina for help with this podcast. An important programming note. For the rest of the summer, Blast the Right will appear every other week, not every week. On most of the weeks that Blast the Right doesn't appear, there will be a live show on either blogtalkradio.com or talkshoe.com. My closing podcast comments will tell you about whatever the next show is going to be, and you can also find out updated information on my podcast homepage. Music credits. The break music was L.A. Nightmare by 22 Caliber and Not the One Blues by Burnshee Thornside. We'll close with a little bit of Kill the Poor by Matthew Grimm and the Red Smear. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on the data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Your email is great. Please keep it coming in. Rational at roadrunner.com. You can also call in and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also leave a comment on Skype. My Skype name is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. So you wear the vestments of ill-gotten legacy Bankrolled by CEOs and died by Christian destiny You give us empty words and flags to rally around But the rest of it don't seem to trickle down to Faces, mortgage and foreclosed Downsized part-time jobs Forsaken by